So I'm giving a little Tama reflection again this morning. And I want to go back to a little what I said yesterday about tearing down the walls yeah, in the mind. And I brought another of the Terikata, which deals with that process. And is Bikuni Tissa, called Tissa Terikata. Tissa, train in the trainings. Don't let the practice pass you by. Detached from all attachments, live in the world free of defilements. So that's the original poem. And then the uh, contemporary poem by Medi Weingast. Tissa the Third. Why stay here in your little dungeon? If you really want to be free, Make every thought a throat of freedom. Break your chains, tear down the walls, then walk the world, a free woman. Break your chains, tear down the walls, then walk the world, a free woman. And yesterday I said that this process is um, mysteriously lawful. So it's kind of difficult, you know, to express it in in dualistic language, but it has a certain lawfulness to it. And and I think, you know, that the central source is, you know, how much we give of ourselves to the past. That's what comes back to us. It's uh, the innermost aspiration or motivation. And that's why I often at the beginning of the meditation say, you know, please recall your motivation, recall your aspiration, because it really helps to light the fire, you know, for meeting what needs to be met and having that sense of courage and perseverance in order to see clearly. Because, you know, we have to not just look once, but we have to look many, many times and, and keep a steady application. And that requires a very clear priorities, which are expressed, I think, in, in a clear motivation and aspiration. And His Holiness the Dalai Lama says, awakening does not happen without a sincere motivation. Because it's the sincerity of this heart wish which opens us up to see things in a different way. And, uh, you know, there are different lineages or different teachers uh, emphasize and speak about in a different way. For example, in the Tibetan tradition with the, with the guru yoga, you know, the, the uh, um, samaya, the, the kind of commitment, you know, which one... Uh, promises to the to the teacher, you know, can under healthy circumstances be a powerful means, you know, to pull us through difficult, narrow path openings. And you know, and if there isn't much health and much skill, it can become really very messy and uh, dangerous. So it's a mixed bag of everything, you know, because it's it's all used by people and, and people are not necessarily enlightened so they make a lot of mistakes. 
but that's the theory of it. You know, that this capacity to, to surrender to something bigger than ourselves is, is very important in the practice. And we can also learn from mistakes, you know, we can also learn from the mistakes of our teachers. Depends, you know, how uh, unskillful, you know, situations can become sometimes. And then, you know, we, we just get re-traumatized and uh, actually lose, lose something, which, you know, is, is difficult to recover, like a certain, you know, trust in, in other people. So... It's not, it's fraught with a lot of obstacles and it, it just, uh, you know, one hears all kinds of stories and I think it's important to pay attention to that but also not get lost in it. And for me, you know, examples of a great courage where, you know, people have really put their aspiration completely you know, into the center of their life. For example, Nelson Mandela or Mahatma Gandhi, you know, who have really been willing to give up all comforts in order to live what they consider to be true. And through that, they could help, like, huge amounts of people to, you know, live, have better life circumstances. That's, like, an example, you know, where where people have, are really very connected to that aspiration and willing to sacrifice everything for it. And I think that's what it needs, you know, also for, to arrive at full awakening, to be willing to sacrifice the completely the whole ego, which means, you know, a lot of comforts, physical comforts and mental comforts. And then, you know, what, what comes back to us is is the great comfort of not needing any comfort. And that's very different from sheer willpower or goal orientation because that really closes us down. You know, if we know too clearly what we exactly, how it exactly has to look like, then we become very narrow-minded and there's a lot of clues, you know, which escape us. But if we're really connecting with that love, you know, love for that, that which is true, that which is beautiful, then, you know, that opens the heart and we can see, you know, many more possibilities to come closer to that which we have identified, you know, as being valuable for us. And I've really seen that myself also, you know, in, uh, in my own practice when I have you know, I've had in my life four teachers, you know, which were really very, where I had a very deep, deep heart connection. And and I can really see, you know, now in hindsight that it was that, uh, you know, that um, devotion, you know, to, to especially one of my teachers, which pulled me through a lot of very narrow, openings where I couldn't have gone on my own because I wouldn't have uh, dared to do this, you know, but it was that sense of uh, trust I had in, in the teacher and which was just like on a very intuitive level because in a way, you know, the, the way how he was, was everything I thought I'd never want to 
feel any devotion towards because I was always interested, you know, to empower women in Buddhism and all of those things. So I, it wasn't really my dream to feel this sense of devotion towards a, a male teacher who was actually younger than me and, you know, very come from the, in Asia, very patriarchal way of conducting the whole spiel there and everything. But still, because I, I sense that the realization in him, you know, and that's what I was devoted to, and the, the way how he looked and and everything that was secondary, because I had that very strong recognition that this is real, you know. So that that was a great. I felt very torn in many ways, you know, because I just felt very confused, but still that sense of the recognition of that depth of realization won out over everything. And then it, it took a long time, really, and, and it was like a really being washed in the washing machine, like where I didn't anyone know where I was left and right, really, in a way. And then it, I came out the other end, you know, after about 15 years, yeah. where I can see I've gained quote-unquote, gained so much from that uh, connection. And now it feels like, you know, all of that has dissipated and I feel still a lot of gratitude. But I can't anymore put myself into those shoes how it was 15 years ago, how I, you know, how I was kind of very confused and, and overwhelmed because it brought up so much conditioning, you know, so much past conditioning from this life and maybe other lifetimes, you know, in relationship to authority, relationship to powerful men, you know, mixed up with all of the stuff about my father. And so it was very, very deeply, uh, you know, pulling out the deepest material, you know, which would never show itself if there wouldn't be that sense of love and devotion. Because if we are not really deeply touched, those things, they, are, they don't get activated. And then we can just, you know, fool ourselves and thinking, oh, yeah, I'm all fine. It just needs to be the right trigger, you know, and then it all comes up. And, uh, and then it's the skill, you know, how can we contain all of that when it comes up? How can we skillfully contain it so that we don't spill everything all over the floor, but we can keep it in a container we can cook, you know, slowly and, uh, and, and become more and more integrated. And it can be sometimes extremely, uh, you know, humili humiliating in a way, you know, because it brings up stuff you, we don't really want to see. But maybe rather humbling, not humiliating. One might feel humiliated, but it is, it is actually just humbling, you know, which means, you know, showing us... Uh, parts of ourselves, which maybe other people notice, but we ourselves, you know, haven't been able to see. So it's a, it's a very amazing process, and I can really see that it was the sincerity of my wish to wake up, which, which drew these people and which drew these situations into my life, I think. So it's that it's a real it's a call and response, you know, between the sincerity of the heart wish 
and, uh, and life or, or the Dhamma, you know, presenting. And then if we can really recognize that which has value, if we can see it and then respond, it will just gain more and more strength in our lives. If we just let it pass by, you know, and, and distract ourselves because it promises uncomfortable circumstances, then it's just going to fade out again, you know. And uh, in, the, in the morning chanting, in the first part of the morning chanting, which we haven't done yet, or might not do, actually, on page 8 and 9, there is, is a very short, it's called Homage to the Dhamma. And it speaks about, you know, in praise of the Dhamma, and it lists six qualities of the Dhamma. So this, the first one is the Dhamma is well expounded by the Blessed One. That means, you know, that the teaching is well laid out by the Buddha so that we can, if we really want to, we can uh, follow the teaching. And then it is apparent here and now. That means, you know, the teaching, we can see it in operation here and now in the present moment. For example, you know, we can see impermanence happening. We can notice unsatisfactoriness and... You know, we can see so many of the different, you know, um, expressions of the teaching we have been speaking about. We can see it here and now in our own experience. Any moment we remember to look, we can see it. Or we go outside in the forest and we can see it. We can see it, we can hear it everywhere if we remember. And then Akaliko, timeless. So it is timeless. It's not just, you know, happening at a certain time or, you know, at a certain time in the day or at a certain time in over uh, the years, but it's constantly happening. And then Ehipasiko, it encourages investigation. So, you know, if we have heard about the teaching and then we really look in our experience, it encourages uh, to find in our own experience the Dhamma expressing mm -hmm. itself, which then you know is productive of wisdom and, and, and faith. And Opanaiko, as I spoke yesterday, here it says it's leading in, inwards, so there's different opinions of what it means, you know, leading inwards or leading onwards. I think it's both, you know. It leads inwards to ever greater depths, you know, of insight, and it leads onwards in our life, leading us to skillful circumstances so that we can further our practice. If we really sincerely, you know, uh, have the, that motivation at the center of our lives, it will attract the right circumstances, and they might not be comfortable, but there will be the right circumstances for the next layer of delusion to be released through meeting a person or through having certain circumstances in our life. And then, Pachatang Vedita Bovin Yuhi is to be experienced individually by the wise, which means, 
you know, everyone has to experience in their own lives, in their own bodies and minds, in order for it to be real wisdom. And as I said yesterday, you know, uh, sapere, the root of the word sapiens in Homo sapiens, means besides to know, it means also to taste. So to have it, have it really tasted in your own body and mind what it means, you know, to long for something or what it means to feel regret about something, to really know how that feels. That's, you know, and then at the next time if something comes up, you remember, oh God, you know, last time. And that's like wisdom. And then you might not do something or do something with intuitively, you know, remembering that you actually want to go towards a life of less regret. You want to go towards a life of more openness, you know. And uh, then, you know, that will help you to make the right decisions in, the, in, the, in a split second, you know, because you don't need to do it with the thinking mind, but it's, it's, a, it's a response, you know, which comes from wisdom, which is beyond dualistic thinking. It's an intuitive faculty which can become strengthened through personal experience and not through reading or listening. The reading and the listening, you know, can help us to look in the right direction and to look at the right places, but we need to have experienced it by ourselves. We have to realize it. And, you know, to realize it, in, also in the German language, it's very interesting. In German it means verwirklichen, and, and that means, and wirken means to do something, to, to kind of make something happen, really, that's what it means. So, and verwirklichung is the German word for realization, that means, you know, through doing it, you make it happen inside yourself. And then, you know, it's that intuitive knowing which works through you when you are then the next time meeting a similar situation. It's just the response emerges from, from your being because your being has been uh, sensitized to truth. And wisdom is that, you know, if the being is sensitized to truth and to that which really has value... And, uh, you know, it can be compared with the, the sharpness of a, of a knife. Like often, you know, for example, in the Tibetan tradition, Manchur Shri, the, the Buddha of wisdom, he has a knife, a flaming, a flaming sword, actually. You know, and he cuts through attachments like that. And... Through you know knowing and sensing what has significance, what is true, and then the confidence in that or sada faith, it's like the weight of the of the sword. Because if the sword is only sharp, that won't really cut it. There has to be some weight to it as well, and that weight is is the confidence or faith which allows the insight to spread out through your life and, uh, you know, to really live it. And through that really living it, it becomes just like really very strongly embedded in our being. We become it. 
And then, you know, next time that same sharpness, you know, will be applied with even more confidence and quicker. It is like like training any skill, you know, training an instrument or a sport or anything. If we don't put in the exercise, if we don't put in the repetition of the same action, it won't get really strong, you know. And it's the same with the practice. So it's that uh, application of what we know to be true, which makes it our own and we become it really. And, uh, you know, these intertwining processes between that what we know to be true and that we also act on it in our lives, that's the only way, you know, how the practice is going to bear any fruit. If it stays just like, you know, book knowledge or theoretic knowledge or philosophy, it's not going to really have the results we are hoping for. And then, you know, if we really act on it, then the Dharma will respond in that sense, Opanaiko, you know, it will respond to that sincerity of living it by coming up with life circumstances which challenge us even more, you know, so that we just kind of more and more, you know, give of the ego, basically, in order to, you know, put that down and embody the Dharma more and more in our lives. And, uh, you know, and our lives start to open up and all of those walls coming down one by one. And it gets, we live in an ever bigger world, you know, wider and deeper. And then, you know, when you go, for example, on a meditation retreat, you go out into the forest, it's just like, it's the same forest, you know, but it's, it has, a, has, a, has an additional dimension to it. The whole life, you know, becomes multidimensional because there is some kind of depth to it, which is always there, but if the mind is very clouded and dull, it can't really connect with it. And I think that's what we all notice, you know, when we come into Cloud Mountain, that this forest expresses that very well, you know. It has like another, there's another dimension to it which you can't so easily find in a forest. That gives, you know, a kind of an inkling what it means, you know, that aspiration, the power of aspiration which has been put into this environment, you know, for, I don't know, 30 years or so. It doesn't get unnoticed. And you can't really grasp it. You can't sell it or buy it. You can't. You can only notice it, you know, and say, wow, that's amazing. So, you know, the liberation arises from both physical and mental activities conjoined. And the retreat is, is an opportunity, you know, where in a in a protected space, we can train ourselves to do that, you know, that we conjoin mental and physical activities so that when we go back home, you know, we might be able to remember how it was, you know, and then maybe we can try to 
make that possible in our lives by just setting our priorities right, you know, and just putting some things down, letting them go, making some space, you know, letting go of some ballast. Because if we want to arrive at a greater perspective, you know, we have to let go of ballast, which is not necessary. We have to make wise choices. For example, you know, how much information do I want to consume every day? How much do I want to, news do I want to consume? We need to know what's going on, but does it need to be 10 hours a day or even three hours? Maybe one hour is enough, you know. Find a, a good source of information or two and just stick with that. So I think that's really important to align our lives with our deepest aspirations and of course sometimes you know we make we get sucked into the old habits that's that's to be expected you know but then okay then just as soon as you notice it you put it down and start again so do to you know use that faith or sada or confidence to support so that we can fully respond to the insights which we had on the cushion or maybe you know, in the walking meditation and then fully respond to those, to the wisdom by, through the confidence, which means you know, the weight of the knife to really you know, cut through some of the confusion producing parts of our lives. It can be done, you know. The Buddha did it in a very extreme way, you know. We don't have to do it like that, but we can we can do it step by step. So you know, it's it's a it's an intertwined process by you know reflecting on internal processes and on external situations, and also knowing, you know, that the external situations, they are often just a reflection of our internal situations. And certain things, you know, seem to happen for certain people over and over again, you know, coming into the same kind of situation. And that has a lot to do with our internal Situation. So to really use that as a as a reminder to look inside what's going on here and you know finding some clarity of what where we do we really want to go with this life and what fits in. And then, you know, if we feel, you know, we get pulled back into some unskillful habits to, to take the pains, you know, of the uncomfortable work of coming out of this by, by really applying ourselves to what we already know to be true. And retreats like this, you know, can really help us to con to reconnect with that heart wish, which you all must have, you know, otherwise you wouldn't be bothered to come. You have to just let it speak really loud, 
so that it, it, it can be heard in a world you know, which is so full of distractions. Just gonna read the poem by Maddie once more. Why stay here in your little dungeon? If you really want to be free, make every thought a sort of freedom. Break your chains, tear down the walls, then walk the world, a free woman. And we can sit a bit. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.